super do not like Rob Schneider's headshot. Uh, when you just Google Judge Dredd cast, it looks like a politician you wouldn't want to let kiss your baby. Yeah, because it's the whole reason he decided to go out for office is so he could kiss your baby. There are good movies and there are great movies, but that's not what we watch here because this is shitty cinema. Oh, we are three film masochists who love to take on the worst movies we can find centered around our monthly theme to answer one simple question. Would you watch it again? I'm Jay and I'm joined by Dave. Hello. And Casey. I'm never upset to see Jason Statham. <laughs> never. Every week, one of us has to pick a movie based on that month's theme. What's this month's theme, Casey? As the cinema starts a new year, we want to turn over a new leaf, only tell the truth from now on. We know we can spin some tall tales, so this month we're watching movies that are 100% true documentaries, you might say, with true story, bro. Yeah, definitely documentaries. These are all films based on true stories, hard air quotes. Yeah, um, very, very... Inspiration for this was Bloodsport. Obviously, we're not going to bring it this month. But the that's ultimate a, true story. The, the ultimate, ultimate true, true story. story. That's a gospel. It's like Frank the Dukes. newest of the New Testament. Well, Jay, you were chomping at the bit for this film. What did you bring? Oh, man. I saw Jason Satham and Robert De Niro and Clive Owen and Dominic Purcell, and I didn't read on. I was just yeah. like, done. Absolutely. Why would you? You've right. already Thank read you. too much today. Thank you. So I brought 2011's Killer Elite, not to be confused with the 1974-1975 movie The Killer Elite. Starring James Caan. Yeah. yeah. That's, Different that's, film. Yeah. And Robert Redford, I think. <clears throat> Or somebody like him. Jay, before we get ahead of ourselves, you need to give us an elevator pitch where you sell us on this movie in 10 seconds or less. All right. I'm really glad you've finally taken the time, uh, spent some money, you took the time off work, and you're on vacation in London. Taking in the sights, getting some tiles under your feet. It's You're having a great time. Unfortunately, as you're walking down the sidewalk, there's no way you could possibly know this, but... Jason Statham is currently tied to a chair in a fight several stories above you, and he's oh, about no. to launch himself out the window, still tied to that chair. Oh, man, I am not quick on my feet. I'm going to get beamed, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the biggest fear about going to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> and their food. Unfortunately, you are going to break his fall and shatter the chair off of him, uh, which is going to remain lodged in your body. In the 10 seconds before that happens, sell us on this movie. Jason Statham is a mercenary with a heart that kills a bunch of SAS officers as revenge for the British shitting on the Middle East, but also to save Bob De Niro, and it's a true story, bro. Nine seconds. <laughs> totally true, bro. It's really crazy. We didn't hear about it on the news. Yeah. yeah. Wild. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you all buy this. So, um, <laughs> case if I'm in London, that means that you are also in London, and when I get smushed, you manage to to back away and not get crushed by Jason Statham in the chair, but you are dazzled by his muscular yet bloody body. And you, you figure if there's a way for, you know, me to go out, it's at least being crushed by him and you getting to appreciate it. But in Agreed. your deer Thank in you. headlights, 
stance, you don't see the taxi coming right behind you that's about to hit you. So in the 10 seconds before you get hit by a taxi because you can't stop staring at Jason Statham's beautiful man chest, sell us on this movie. Jason Statham, Statham's the Day, in a predictable action film starring Dominic Purcell's facial hair. The biggest twist of all is being that Statham's girlfriend makes it to the movie's end alive. Ten seconds. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. whole okay. time. All right. She was just Spoiler. living. But yeah. She went on vacation. She was alive the whole movie. Yeah, uh, Never yeah. kidnapped. Met Never Bob raped. Like... What? She also did get to meet Bob De Niro. What a pretty, what a pretty decent situation, especially for this, a Jason Statham. Right. Interest. This is Jason Statham's Bechdel test, and he passed with flying colors. A I love think that's a exactly love interest what the who test only is. exists in cutaways. Yeah. <laughs> that's just like you're. I'm amazed you got a last name. Before we climb into the fridge, why don't we go over the movie that Shitty Cinema watched? Danny Price is an elite mercenary that retires after shooting a man in the face next to his kid. Trauma. <laughs> what happened to retirement parties? Like, <laughs> oh, this is a bit much, Robert De Niro. I feel like he set it up like one last fun job. And then like, surprise. He's like, ooh, no, thank you. I'm vegan. <laughs> When his friend Hunter fails a job, Danny comes out of retirement to complete that job so that Hunter isn't killed for it. So it sounds like you're saying that Danny is the only killer elite. Which makes the whole setup convoluted as hell, but we'll we'll get to that, Dave. The gist of the story is that a sheik from Oman wants Danny to kill the SAS troopers that killed his sons. Yeah, pretty uh, kind of a classic revenge, but we have a twist. Because Danny needs to get confessions from those SAS soldiers that... They killed the Sheik's sons, and he has to make their deaths look like accidents so that it doesn't come back on the Sheik's son. So are we playing Hitman? Is that, <laughs> is no, that what's going on? No, we're playing the 6'6 Sheik with six sons that got killed by Killer Elite is going to freak. I mean... <laughs> Say that nice bars, ten times Dave. fast. Nice bars. Thanks. I would absolutely love this Hitman level. Like, I am so in. <laughs> yes, though. Upside of all this, though, is the Sheik promises Danny that he'll get the $6 million bounty from the job if he pulls all of it off. So, eh. Danny promptly hires two of his Merc buddies and offers to split the proceeds 50-50 between the two of them because he's only in it to free Hunter. God damn it. I hate that so much. I know. That's, I know. I was immediately screaming at my TV. Yep. Especially because they started with fucking $6 million. If only you could evenly divide that three ways. Also, like, look at how many head injuries he got in this movie. Maybe he's just like, ah, oh, I just don't do numbers <laughs> at all. It's money means nothing. Goodbye. You know, the, the, the paper's worth more than the coins, but the coins are heavier. What's that about? <laughs> it sometimes gets tough shopping for groceries. You know, like you get some groceries and you're like, you know, I could shoot someone a leg for you. <laughs> That'd be a pretty appropriate response. And he got some of this Who's your least with favorite manager here? <laughs> Help me steal these groceries. <laughs> no, I'll maim them. I'll maim them. And you want Halloween off? Bet. But I'm going to go get some steak really quick if you want both. Oh, and also, you know, if you're going to be like, you know, Mr. Fucking Generosity about this, what about your buddy that's in the fucking... Uh, shitty prison cell that you know has a wife and kid at home. You got right. You got anything for his time and materials on this, or right? I you live in a fucking fire burnt out building. 
take some cash back with you, man. Home Depot costs money. I hate it <laughs> so much. The first of his three targets is in Oman. Danny and pals intend to make it look like he slipped in the shower and cracked his head. After getting a confession, the target's girlfriend returns, creating a distraction which the target uses to try to escape. Danny's buddy smashes the target's head in and they return to England. Davies, one of Danny's other's buddies, starts asking around the SAS types to find out info on their agents. Unfortunately, this tips off a secret society of ex-SAS troopers who call themselves the Feathermen. They fucking. <laughs> like, they're fucking. They feather each other's balls. It's cute. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of slap and tickle in those initiations. Yeah. They take it upon themselves to protect SAS troopers from uh, not having money. The Feathermen send one of their own guys to investigate called Spike Logan. Spike isn't as bought in on their whole light touch approach of his peers. He's more of an old school, just take care of it yourself kind of guy right now with a gun. Davies informs Danny that their next target is going out on an endurance march. Danny drugs him, then follows him out on the march, out into the snow as his travel buddy. When the target collapses in the snow, Danny gets the confession and leaves him there to freeze and die. Two down, one to go. Unfortunately for Danny and crew, the Feathermen are now seriously pursuing them. They managed to kill their last target, but two problems immediately arise. Okay, the first is that they kill the target without getting a confession. So, Danny decides to fake it and hope that the Sheik just doesn't notice. Eh, just you know, slur your way through it. He's old. He's sick. He doesn't speak English. Actually, he does. Wasn't he speaking he English? Does. Yeah, speak it was like, I yeah. thought he was speaking English. Oh, my God. Do I speak his language? <laughs> but... Finally, my mutant powers are coming in. At the tender age of 37. <laughs> Second, a gunfight with Spike's men gets one of Danny's crew killed. So when Davies and Danny part ways, Davies is killed attempting to flee Spike. Danny gets Hunter out and all is kind of wellish for a moment. And then the Sheik contacts Danny through an intermediary to tell him that the real target is about to release a book about his time in the SAS. So now Danny has to kill Ranolf Fiennes. When Danny finds him, he has to contend with the team sent by Spike to protect Fiennes. In the chaos, Danny shoots Fiennes and takes a picture of his dead body. Fiennes isn't actually dead, though. Uh... Danny lets him go before getting captured by Spike's men. The British government shows up to say, hey, we're also the bad guys because we killed those cats for the sweet, sweet oil money, which is, I guess, better than what happened in historical Oman. Danny and Spike get their team up moment as they escape from the government. Spike gets back to the Sheik first and thanks that son of a bitch to death. <laughs> the Sheik's living son doesn't care and gives the six million to Spike to save his own life. Then Danny and Hunter catch up with Spike. Yeah. Danny just leaves all of the money with Spike. Well, most of the money. Robert De Niro grabs a couple stacks out of there because you know, <laughs> man's got expenses. Right. It doesn't have a daughter in college. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The two of them tell Spike to find a new life and then head off to retire with their family. We should talk about this movie in two parts. First, we should talk about the film, and then we can talk a little bit about how it's a true story. How does that sound? Is that the only way you can organize your thoughts? Yeah, yeah we can absolutely do that. I don't want to confuse my sh my um, thoughtful analysis of the true story, if that's what you want to call it, uh, with <laughs> with 
what I enjoyed or maybe didn't enjoy about the movie. Yeah, yeah. I would I would much prefer we talk about it as a movie before we talk about my not so thoughtful analysis of the author's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> cool. 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 So this is we've we've all seen a lot of Jason Statham movies, and in this film, Jason Statham is the main character. He plays Danny Bryce, a mercenary. Uh, did they ever state his military background? If they did, that brain cell is gone now. Okay, it doesn't seem like they just like imply that he has yeah. some kind of military experience, and he's he's the best at what he does. Yeah, I don't I don't remember if they say exactly what he did in the military, but we see you know him doing these jobs with Robert De Niro in the military where he has to like assassinate people, basically. Yeah, yeah, they call him a mercenary, but he's he's mostly just an assassin. It seems like. Yeah, that's 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 the main job that he's getting hired for. However, it made absolute no sense, no sense when that son of a bitch refused to take any of the money for the super dangerous job he was about to do. Yeah, I and bullets cost money. Where are you getting those? <laughs> Who's funding the travel? Furious right. with that scene. It I was absolutely furious with it. I I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to characterize Statham to show that he wasn't in this for the money that he wasn't getting. It's not like a John wick back in the life. He's, he's just helping out his friend. And then he's going to go back to his girlfriend in Montana or wherever the fuck it is. (laughs) It's the Montana of Australia. Yeah. Which I I suppose is, is like Montana where everything murders you. Whatever it is. But it was, I one just, yeah. The logistics of it is incredibly stupid. Like, dude, you have expenses to cut. You just booked last minute flights. (laughs) Under a false name to the Middle East. Right. Come on. So good at his job and took so many jobs. Like his whole yard is just buried with suitcases full of money. And <laughs> yeah, he's just yeah, like, yeah. no, six million is not shit. Like, yeah, please I, keep it. I don't I don't want to dig a hole. I'll give you, you six right. million to not dig a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't dig in. I'm running. My well's going dry and I genuinely I'm going to have to go so far out. And then at the end, he also refuses the money, but he's he's also lost, like, two of his good friends. It's just, it's terrible. It's not only it doesn't make sense, it's predictable as shit. It's just, like, it's just if you let an AI write this script. <laughs> it's just throwing out the most generic possible ending to these scenes. And that goes through for, I need to read a couple of quotes from this movie. Oh, I'm so excited. Please. You shouldn't. You shouldn't fucking be. (laughs) You don't trust that snake, do you? He's lying. Yeah, how do you know? His lips were moving. Boring. Your lips are moving. Predictable. Uh, Hello, that's a Megan Trainor song. Get out of here. Probably inspired by this film. Killing's easy. Living with it's the hard part. Boring. Predictable. (laughs) I'm done with killing. Well, maybe killing ain't done with you. Go I fuck said that. yourself. Did I not quote it yeah, with the movie? Yeah, and yeah, I was like, oh, they yeah. went there. What? <laughs> Casey fucking at the same time. It was beat for beat. I'm looking for a particularly ridiculous quote to go, oh, did you clairvoyance that one? But there honestly aren't any. They're all just no. boring, <laughs> predictable Markov chain bullshit. Are you upset? Would you like a lolly? I'd love a lolly. Strawberry or fuck you? No, fuck you, writer of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Dave. You seem to have yeah, big feelings. Yeah, Dave. 
What's going on, I man? I really did. I the okay. The thing was, I actually kind of like the general premise of this movie. It's top shelf spy movie bullshit. But like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I love I yeah. love the premise of doing like 1980s Cold War era, but with some more modern sort of trappings to it. But then to put this just terrible ass generic dialogue over it, I as we were coming into this today, I was genuinely struggling to remember anything about this movie until we started talking about the premise of it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I OK, so I think I'm, I'm with you, but it's a double edged sword there, Dave. On one hand, I do love the absurd spy shit setup that we get where we have this insanely convoluted situation there where the, the protagonist has to kill his way through these people to save a friend. Oh yeah. On the same token, it his plot, the Sheik's plot of getting this done is fucking bonkers. It's bonkers. Absolutely. This man is I nutso. love an ambitious goal setter. <laughs> He could run a killer Mary Kay business. Yeah, no, the the sheik the sheik wants revenge for his three sons who were killed. So he needs taped confessions from the killers and he needs their deaths to look like accidents. That is And some... he needs you to sell twelve mascaras at this party. Please. <laughs> Honestly, he should recruit he should recruit the sheik before he dies. And that still counts. Plus he also has Bob De Niro, who failed, and is using him as leverage to get Danny Bryce, Jason Statham's character, to do the work. And he needed it to get Jason Statham back out of retirement. That is some top-shelf movie bullshit right, right there. Right, That is like 10D chess, and it's absurd. Yeah. And that's why he's a regional area director in Mary Kay, and you're not. <laughs> Hey, does does he drive the pink Cadillac? You know he does. I don't think they let your like son inherit the pink Cadillac if you die as a Mary Kay rep. I think you gotta <laughs> give it back, or your son has to start like selling in your name. What about Jason Statham's other buddies, like uh, Davies, played by Dominic Purcell? Oh um, my and god. Meyer. His facial hair and whole style and look should have won an Academy Award. Davies? He is perfect. Was it the it's, mutton chops that did it for you? Yes. Or the Very giant handlebar mustache? <laughs> and I love it so much. It was everything. <laughs> he looked perfect. Yeah, the man is basically just a, a pit bull given human form. <laughs> And mutton chops. <laughs> and mutton chops. Yeah, huge mutton chops. Um, a pit bull with a gambling problem. Yeah, he's he's supposed to be one of Jason Statham's like sort of like field agents going out and gathering information. He's terrible at it. He just Absolutely very terrible. obviously asks questions about the situation and then murders anyone who like starts sniffing around him. He's he also likes to get job. fucked up. Yeah, big fan of getting fucked up and spending all his money on hookers, so. <laughs> hey. It's a man with priorities, Dave. Does it hurt to see someone living your dream? Get the fuck out of here. This man's a hero. He looks like the kind of guy that only does cocaine on the weekends and on trips. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> and he on to tell you that he travels for work. Yeah. <laughs> 
he's he's absolutely delightful. I love that character so fucking much. Uh, his dialogue is equally bad to everyone else's. Absolutely, in the movie. absolutely. Uh, he was the one who gave us the line of uh, "Show me a what was it? Show me a woman, and I'll show you a bloke who's sick of her shit." Come on, yeah, man. He did show say me that a one? beautiful woman. Yeah, I don't. Come on. What did you guys think of his death? Oh, uh, I was me. bummed out. It was disrespectful. I yeah. agree. We got a really tense sequence of him trying to get away from Spike. It looks like he almost does. He's trying to like bang on passing cars, and then he just steps in front of a fucking semi and gets creamed. I think it was a boss. Either yes. way, it he was, gets fucking smoked. It, it was it was the action equivalent of a jump scare. I'm not a fan Correct. of that. It felt a little out of character, too, because that character was, while uh, sloppy in some ways, he was not sloppy in combat and was overzealous. And he does, just doesn't seem like the character that would make that sort of... Maybe that, that's the point of killing him that way, but I don't know. I felt like I would have rather have seen him go down fighting. Especially I think because with the he fights they, better was. in a team. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the implication as long as he's with a team. He's the personality hire. <laughs> like, he's not really great at his job, but he brings the charisma and he keeps everybody's spirits lifted. And he, he does well in fighting, but the sneaking around shit seems to be a problem for him. Uh, I I did I did absolutely prefer him though to the other uh, the other like assistant spook uh, that Meyer? I really yeah Meyer the one that I kept thinking was James McAvoy but wasn't James McAvoy yeah it's not James McAvoy definitely not just like I just big kept lots thinking, James McAvoy <laughs> yeah there was some uh, too much too many similarities with Atomic Blonde just in you know setting and some tone stuff so. He didn't really have any character until he died. Oh, but his death scene is the okay. I I agree with you, Dave. Going into this, there is I I was struggling to pick out some of the details of this film in my memory before I started looking at notes. However, his death scene, Meyer's death scene, is something that stuck with me because it was one of the few times where I'm watching a movie and I went, "Damn, oh." Oh, I remember exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. Kind of really, yeah, when, yeah, when yeah, the, yeah. So when when Danny needs to kill his third target, they they need some extra help, so they bring a new guy on who it's his first time ever doing a, a hit manning. And, the rookie. Yeah, and he's really bad at it, and he screws it up by walking between Meyer and their target when they're holding a gun on the target. And they use it to start wrestling around and he grabs the gun and tries to shoot the target in the back of the head. But uh, he shoots through his head and hits Meyer and Meyer dies. Shoots them both in the head. Uh, both uh, heads. Yeah. I, I'm surprised it got that reaction out of you because as soon as the kid walked in front of him and Meyer screamed no, I thought that's where the scene was going. Like, oh, we're doing this one. The, the new kid gets the old guy killed. I thought the kid was going to die. I thought it was that. Ah. I thought that was going to be the end of the scene, not that Meyer was going to get shot. Oh. Yeah, now the, the, the new kid getting the old guy killed is a pretty classic scene, so it felt like he had to get somebody, and then as soon as they, they separated off and it was just the two of them, as oh, sorry, Meyer, I guess it's going to be you. Definitely a cold way for him to go, considering how insane their plan was in the preciding scene. Oh, my which, God. Yeah, which was for them to... 
they, they had to kill a man. So they decided the best way to do this was to install remote controls on an unrelated truck that they could take over and steer into him causing a traffic accident that the tra- uh, guy would die in the following morning on what? His drive to work, I guess? Yes. And he had a job interview. They scheduled him a job oh, interview. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. To oh, yeah, go cause, to. Because that particular didn't, target didn't have a job because he was an insane ex-SAS officer that got in street brawls like seven times a day. Yeah. Yep. Definitely worked with that dishwasher before. Yeah. And this is a part where like 1980s technology to remote control a semi, which was, which is an interesting, I'm fine with it. I love it because it's a trashy spy plot thing. Absolutely. And like, Having him smash into it is a ridiculous, quote unquote, accident. It's not. I obviously it's super fucking suspicious, but I'm I'm okay with it. I liked it. I like maybe they don't like sure maybe they're not going to figure out exactly who did it, but somebody's going to crawl under the remains of this thing and see a giant blinking remote control box because it's 1980. <laughs> so it's not like slipping a like a secret GPS thing on there. An You're Apple fully Air controlling, tag. right? Like the eight foot antenna steering. is probably already sticking out the side of it. This right. is not elect. There's no electronics in cars at this point, other than like the clock, maybe. This movie does have at least a couple of solid ideas because that was a solid idea. the The shower hammer was a really solid idea that I'm really sad didn't come to fruition yeah i loved the plot i loved that premise of like breaking in ahead of time to like take some tiles from his shower and use that to construct a a weapon made out of the same material they could kill him with that's a really cool premise for this like kill him and make it look like an accident and then shit goes wrong and somebody just grabs his head and smashes it into the shower and it's like oh yeah you could just do that you didn't need to make a hammer Here's another way they could have played that. He could have broke free after the girlfriend had disappeared, though, out of the scene, ran, slipped, like tripped over that balcony, fell and broke his neck. Right. And and it would have been an accident. They would have had the hammer and it wouldn't have felt like we were cheated. Right. Because they it's a different mode of death. Yeah. Or you could have just had the scene play out predictably where the girlfriend shows up, there's a tense moment of will she, you know, come in. We see that she doesn't have her keys on her, which they put in the movie. And she turns around and leaves. And then Jason Statham finishes the job with the hammer and it pays off entirely that way. And it would have right. been predictable, but it still would have been fine. I'd have been down yeah. for that too. Hey, let's focus on the positive. The girlfriend didn't die. <laughs> nope. Or get capped, kidnapped. Or she raped or attacked. Right. Oh my gosh. She was That's never true. in the scene with a bad guy at the same time. Yeah, uh, the girlfriend, uh, the girlfriend who originally only exists in cutaway scenes that I was convinced were going to be set like ten years in the past, and she had died somewhere in the intermediary. Right, so, I was waiting for her violent death flashback. When I'm like, any minute. Yeah, hundred percent. It really feels like this is a a background exposition on the character. Turns out, no, it's current and modern day. And uh, in like our fourth major plot line of the film, she gets kidnapped. Well, she gets threatened to be kidnapped. 
So Robert De Niro has to babysit her in Paris for a week, which just goes fine. And then Jason I'm getting Statham as picks drunk her up as in a I sweet can. car. I'm picking fights wherever I can. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a fairy god De Niro on my shoulder. <laughs> you can't fucking touch me. He's not even on your shoulder. De Niro was trailing her. So you just get to yeah. just tramp. So you just get to trample your way through the city. And anytime I shit gets a little that. too hot, he swoops in from a block away. That's the only way I want to travel Europe. Like, can, <laughs> like, can you imagine somebody just starts getting a little too hot and they look up and see De Niro charging down the street towards them? That's the only way I'm going to Paris. Mark my words. Yeah, because the one scene where it looks like she's going to be in trouble, where uh, I, I guess we can call this like plot line Five point five. Five B. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's an apartment. Yeah. De Niro, De Niro, and Statham's handler from the beginning of the movie. He follows her into a subway and is about to grab her just as she steps onto a train when De Niro shoots him with the pistol from like way too far away. Yeah, two way stops too far down away. the line. He's real far away. <laughs> but more infuriating was those doors on that subway were open for what? three seconds total yeah the girlfriend barely she was standing waiting for them to open barely got in and they were already closing behind her i why we got one hot bitch on the train no more uggies (laughs) (laughs) and that's another like spook like scene that could be done really well because having the guy murdered on the platform is in in a a crowd of people is such a perfect or spook style scene, but it it's like soulless. In yeah, this. it's it just, just it's it just there's just there's not much to it. He shoots him in the leg and falls down, and then they just kind of generic at each other till De Niro generics uh, something about you're not worth killing, basically, and then just leaves. <laughs> okay, there is one generic in this movie that, although they were very, they just filled the exact role they had to. I, I loved it so very goddamn much. And that Who's was the, that? it was the MI6 agent who shows up to tell the Featherman that they knew about what they were doing the whole time and they need to fucking stop it. Oh, yeah. oh, he, he shows up in a black helicopter. And when the Featherman says, who are you? His response is, I'm the guy they let fly around in an unmarked helicopter with a gun in his pocket. <laughs> Fair. Great I answer. Let, get straight to the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, we're all on board now. We're all on the same page. Because it doesn't matter who they are. They do right. let you do that. Threat How received. can I help you? Right. Do you need to use the bathroom? Did you have a long flight? I can. Crumpets? Tea? Just a great opening line for a generic spook movie. Love it. He and also he... has the best name. Yeah. His name is Mifwick. What's Mifwick? Motherfucker, what's in charge? Little British for my taste, but okay. You mentioned the Feathermen. We haven't yeah. really discussed who they are. Oh boy, they're, they're a secret group of ex-military SAS dudes that meet up weekly to do their taxes or something. I'm not really sure what they were doing in that drafty-looking room. Uh, ben Mendelson, Ben Mendelson's. He does evil as the Featherman. Yeah. Um, 
the only specific action that we see them take is intervening in the assassination of these SAS troopers. But they're kind of just uh, they their dialogue implies that they just do Illuminati shit. They manipulate yeah. the economy. They intervene in world politics. They do what they feel needs to be done. But not it's not that that big. It's more localized because their primary function is to protect the SAS officers and or the ex SAS officers because um, the government's not looking out for them anymore and no one's looking out for them and so someone needs to be looking out for them and the Feathermen do that and then they also do Illuminati shit with their light touch. That's why they're the Feathermen. They have a light touch. We have to organize the bake sale. If the government's not going to do it, we have to. That's true. That's true. This movie is based on a true story, and our month is true story, bro. So we need to talk about the book, The Feathermen, that this is based on. Is it based on a true story? Okay, well, but okay. If it is, then the author admits to not being there for anything other than a blip in the book. So he's just taking the word of whoever played Jason Statham in real life. He uh he claims to have gotten a lot of uh firsthand conversations and um he even had the widows of the people that were assassinated sign off on his book he says. He says. <laughs> they, yeah. Did anybody talk to those yeah. widows? So the the Feathermen. Or do they exist? So yeah, this movie is loosely based on a book from 1991 called The Feathermen. And that book was written by a guy named uh, Randolph Fiennes. Randolph Fiennes. Who, who claims that he met a member of this secret society called the Feathermen, who gave him all this insight into how they had been uh, secretly manipulating things and told him about these, uh, these various things that were uh, among them hits that were covered up as accidents and that he went to the widows of those SAS officers who gave him permission to write that in his book. Most of those widows deny that entirely. Yeah. Um, so case he, he also claims that uh, he was the target of one of the hits and he was protected by the Feathermen. Um, so unlike his, his proxy in the film, he says that when the hit came to happen, the Feathermen protected him, but it wasn't uh, Arabs in in his experience, because it was the Cold War, it was the Soviets, and it was this group called the Clinic. So the Feathermen uh, supposedly saved Ranolf Fiennes from being assassinated by the Clinic. Yeah. Uh-uh. The, Love uh, that everybody has a cool nickname. Right? <laughs> That's the, the realest The British government me. claims that the majority of the people that he writes about in his book either just didn't exist in the first goddamn place or died of unrelated shit and totally separate incidents, which... Okay. By Jason Statheming. I, and like, I'm not going to say that the British government has never lied about anything. Cause come on. But, <laughs> but if there was anything that would have pushed it over the line, there's a 2011 interview for, with the author. <laughs> you read that too, Dave. Yeah. Ron, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, so, man. So the a, a lot of people have raised a lot of stink about this book being total fucking bullshit over the years. And, right, and we should we should say that when it was published, it was published with this big, 
is it fact or fiction, but it was published as based on a true story. Yeah. It was heavily publicized as being based on a true story. Yes. It's probably real. A lot goes on the publisher, but uh, Fines himself took advantage of this. He has described his novels as factional. Yes. Meaning a blend of fact and fiction. (laughs) But if you really want to push it over the line, we've got his 2011 Daily Beast interview. I have chosen to change my mind from time to time in terms of answering people. And at the moment, and at the moment, I choose to say that the book uh, and therefore the film are total fiction. In twenty years' time, I might change my mind. <laughs> so he just decides from moment to moment whether or not his book is fact or fiction. I don't know why I'm getting strong Michael Jackson vibes off this guy. No, no, no. I so earlier in that interview, when the interviewer asks about the book. The first thing he does is say, okay, well, now that you've asked me about that, I'm going to be cagey. And then he's just a master troll is what he is. Because he's like, hey, I'm going to be a cagey fuck. And then he's a super cagey fuck. Yeah, which, okay, I haven't read the book, but based off of what got translated into this movie, sounds like a pretty cool book, man. You didn't have to... You didn't have to make up all this shit. It probably would have done pretty well as it is. You didn't have to go all Scientology with it. Listen. The hype, Dave. It's 2011 when this is made. You know, 2010. And Arabs are now our universal bad guy. So it's not the Soviets anymore. So we had to swap out the Soviets with with Arabs. That's true. So that we felt better. Were they the bad guys in this? Yeah, but uh, they weren't really the bad guys in this movie. They technically, they they kind of set the plot off. But if anything, they're just background elements in it what do you think the writing process for this was like frenetic while so this i i I need to i need to put in that this this is while he is in the sas offended by the construction of an ugly concrete dam built by 20th century fox for the production of dr doolittle fines attempted to destroy the dam but police foiled the plan fines had to pay a large fine and he was dismissed from the sas so while in the SAS, he tried to blow up a dam built by 20th Century Fox for Dr. Doolittle. He's a Rocky and Bullwinkle character. Uh, the story he tells is that some locals were complaining that they were going to leave town and just leave it up there and it was going to deteriorate and fuck them over and asked him if he'd blow it up and he had kept explosives. Why didn't they make a movie about that? Why don't they write now? I'll wait. I'll wait a couple years for that. Wait a minute. Like, so I came into this thinking this was like a Frank Duke situation, but turns out this guy sounds fucking awesome. No, he actually kind of was who Frank Dukes pretended pretended to be. be. Oh, not only that, um, Renolf Fiennes was almost, uh, almost James Bond. He was one of six people left for James Bond after George Lazenby, and they ended up going with Roger Moore. But but he was in this callback to six guys. He's also still alive, so I'm not I'm still suspicious that he wrote his own Wikipedia page. But <laughs> Okay, I guess there's one last thing before before we get to the thing that we always do. And this month is true story, bro. So guys, do you buy it? Is this a true story? 
Was Killer I mean, Elite uh, a true story? Yeah, was this no, a documentary? Not, of course. Of course not. <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes now based oh. on his Wikipedia. Yep. Oh! It probably is truer-ish. Man, um, I'm going to go with bullshit. It, and that interview from the Daily Beast in 2011 fucking murdered me when I read it. I was rolling in laughter. I'm like, this right, man is a is... fucking troll. A fucking troll, and I'm here for it. You now choose so, to believe it's false. Just come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> what All kind right. of million little pieces bullshit is this? That's it, guys. Casey, I'm going to start with you. 2011's Killer Elite, starring Jason Statham, Bob De Niro, Dominic Purcell, Ben Mendelsohn. Would you watch it again? Jason Statham, as always, is a fucking gem. He's spot on. He doesn't talk too much. His fights are fabulous. They're little cutty-cutty, but I'm always happy to see him doing martial arts. I always think he does a good job. I will say, Bob De Niro, I could have dealt with more of you in this movie. That's it was true. nice to see you. True. I loved, I loved him being the girlfriend babysitter. Um, just sniping people left, right, and center. You should do those, those vacation tours, please. We will sign up on, uh, I almost said GoFundMe, on, uh, Groupon. But this movie is very forgettable. It's, I totally <laughs> forgot about the guy getting capped through another guy's head, which was a great scene. Also very jarring yeah. for me. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, no, that would happen. That's right. That's right. You guys did it. Um, but it's very generic and I think I would rather watch a different Jason Statham movie. So no, I would not oh! watch this again, but I'm glad I did. It was, it was fun enough. It was a, it was a decent seventies spy thriller. Dominic Purcell was very fun, but there's not much for me to go back to on this. Dave, how about you? Killer elite, the gospel of Statham. <laughs> Would you watch it again? Man, the 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 initial starting premise of this movie of, uh, you know, the sheik who wants revenge for his sons and he has to get taped confessions and make it look like uh, an accident. I absolutely love that premise and putting it in the 1980s setting, I think, works extremely well. It gives you a really good level of technology for uh, and, you know, capabilities for the time frame for it. And. Like, it's weird. I want to talk about the movie in terms of, like, acts, but it's not really acts. They're just kind of three separate, loosely related plot lines. <laughs> the, 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 the act one plot line of these assassinations really like that. The act three plot line of uh, Clive Owen V and sometimes with Jason Statham, absolutely love that. Yeah. The act two where they're just muddling around trying to figure out how to get from act one to act three. That's where I forgot everything about this fucking movie. Yeah. I, and as much as I love the premise for it and the cast list is just beyond extraordinary. I don't see myself coming back to this again. Oh! They're just they, I, now that I've seen it, there isn't a scene that I think is going to be worth watching again. They all sound cooler than they look. But Jay, what about you? 
you're kicking us off for this month. And, and you, this year. You're, dear God, what an omen. <laughs> mm. This is shitty yeah. cinema. So, with our first true story bro of the month, Killer Elite, would you watch it again? I don't know that I have much more to say than what you two have said already. I, I think you nailed it. There's a lot of great ideas in this movie. They're not tied together. The characters aren't compelling. And it's unfortunate because if they would have had a little bit more fun, and I, I guess I say this all the time, but if they would have had a little bit more fun, been a little bit more silly with the characters, or treated it more seriously like it appears they wanted to and spent some time polishing the writing. It may tightening up the plot. This could have been Purcell was fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the I only think one, though. some of that was accidental. So <laughs> I think we could have had a lot of fun with this movie. And even though it had moments like the headshot where I was like, what the fuck? Most of the movie is so forgettable. So forgettable. And I, if I'm going to get some Statham time or some De Niro time, there's much better options. So, no, I'm also not going to watch Killer Elite again. That's it. We're starting off the year with a dud. Zero Who's out saying? of three of us would watch Killer Elite again. But what about you, listeners? Have you seen it? Would you watch it again? Let us know on Facebook and Instagram. Casey, what do we have going on next week? Next week, I'm bringing a 90s throwback. She's got to reach these kids. It's Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, oh. In Dangerous Minds. I'm mostly excited for the fucking soundtrack because that soundtrack, I had it on cassette. Take the rest of the week off. School's not back in session till next week. Follow us on Instagram at Casey.Cinema. Like us on Facebook, SH.TTYCinema. Throws a bone on the Patreon, if you know what I mean, slash shitty cinema or peepshittycinema.com. Check the show notes for those links. And in the meantime, let's turn out the lights. Not walk between a dude and a gun. Be careful where you're shooting. Huh?